Well, welcome and thank you for connecting with us online today. This is an exciting time in the life of our church because just a few weeks ago, we started our in-person services right here at the Missouri City campus. And on November the 1st, next week, Right, We're going to start at our West End campus. We're going to have a 9.30 and an 11 o'clock service. And then on December the 6th, we're going to be having our in-person services at the Richmond campus. We're really excited. Now, I know not everybody is ready to come back. So keep connecting online as long as you want to until you feel comfortable, until you feel ready. But I'm excited that people are starting to congregate together again and be together. We're in a, our annual generosity campaign that we do every year. We just sort of move this up a little bit because of the pandemic, because there's so much need out there. We're calling this campaign Be Rich. In the first week, we talked about giving and how we can make our financial contributions come together in a big pile of money so we can help 26 nonprofit partners that we have in our community and around the world. We wanted to make this so that everybody could achieve success here, so we put a price point on it. And we said, what if everybody that calls River Point or West End home gave $39.95? Now, I know not everybody can do that, but so give what you can. But most people can give $39.95. It's a great exercise to get your kids involved as well as everybody. Now, I know some of you, like me, we could add a zero or two to that and still uh, con- contribute in a big, big way to the Be Rich campaign. Then last week, Ryan Leak just did a great job talking about serving. So it's give, serve, and love. And last week we talked about simple ways that we can serve. Uh, We've been given some shoes, uh, donating shoes to to a ministry for women. We've been doing a lot of great, great things. And there's opportunities on our website for you to find out how you can serve and give your life away. That's really what we're talking about. We're talking about being rich. The ideal here is how can our life be rich meaningful, purposeful? How can we be happy? What's the formula, right? Everybody's got a different formula, but everybody wants the same thing. Everybody wants a good life. So what we believe as followers of Christ is that God's designed a life for us that's supposed to be meaningful and rich and good. In fact, the apostle Paul wrote about it when he wrote this fellow named Timothy. Here's the command. Here's where we got the name Be Rich. Here's what it says. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. I think in this passage, let me read it again. I don't think you got it. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. I think this, in a very simple way, makes our life better. It gives us more joy. In fact, when our life intersects with somebody else's life and their life gets better because of our life, then all of a sudden our life gets bigger and richer and more meaningful. And so we want to challenge people to be involved with this uh, Be Rich campaign. We, 100% of the money that we're giving is going out the doors to our partners. So this isn't about the church raising money. This is about you and me doing something for people we don't even know, but we know have a great need for sure. So for most of us, the assumption has been in our life is like, how do we follow God and how does this relationship really happen? So I want to talk about the third part of our Be Rich campaign today, and that's called love. How do we love? You know, love is the standard to which Jesus brought in that changed 
everything, right? Everything. So all, the, all, all of us have this idea of what does it take for us to be good with God? And for, for many of us, I don't, I don't know about you, this is kind of what burned me out or, or kept me away from church for a very, very long time. It was about the rules. It was about, it was about this idea that God has this set of rules and that I'm supposed to keep these rules. And as long as I keep these rules, then I'm good with God and God's good with me. And it becomes a system. And we kind of move this system in a way that allows us to navigate the system and to be good at the system. Well, the reason as a kid, I didn't grow up in church. Many of you know my story. But for many of us, what happens is we, we learn, first of all, how to get good at most of the rules. And then we start holding those rules to other people and it creates a judgmental attitude. Or we find loopholes in the rules. And every rule has an exception. And, and, and we just kind of come up with this system and it just sort of happens. And I'm going to show you kind of where it comes from. This idea that me and God are good as long as, me and God are good as long as I keep the rules. In fact, God's going to bless me, right? Because I keep the rules. That's kind of how I get God's blessing. And we start asking the question on things like, well, is this sin or is this not sin? And we try to get as close to breaking the rule as we can without actually breaking the rule. And so this whole system of rules, it all comes sort of out of this Old Testament idea of the Old Covenant or what we call the Ten Commandments. You've heard of the Ten Commandments, right? And there's something in us that says it's a very simple system. If I can keep the commandments, then God is going to bless. Well, I want to show you something today that Jesus ushered in a new covenant or a new testament or a new way to relate to God. And what we do is we drag this old way into the new way and it creates such dysfunction in our religion and in our relationship with God. So think about this for a minute. Think about the Ten Commandments, okay? Now, I don't know how many of those commandments that you can name. Typically, people can name three. So even though in our mind... We have this system in place that says that if I keep the rules, God blesses me. What we recognize is we don't really even know the rules. And what we don't remember is this. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, was God making a sort of a contractual agreement with the nation of Israel. It wasn't to individuals. It was to the nation. And as the leaders and the judges and the kings went, so God would either bless or unbless the nation of Israel. So if you read the Old Testament, then what happens is you see times when people were obedient and led by godly people that wanted to follow God's rules and God blessed. And then there are other times where they veered off the path, they broke all the rules, the leaders broke all the rules, and the nation was judged, right? So it started with the commandments. It was a legal arrangement between God and a nation. It wasn't between God and a person. So we dragged that idea into when Jesus showed up, there was a brand new way. And, there was a, and it took, after the resurrection, 40 or 50 years for the church to kind of get that because all of us begin to really relate to God like this ideal of rules. Now, before I go into the New Testament, let me just tell you this. Nobody, nobody relates their relationship that's healthy in terms of obedience. Think about your closest, most intimate relationships. 
Besides your relationship with your dog, okay, no other relationship is measured by obedience, okay? So you don't say, okay, I've got the greatest wife in the world. Well, why is she the greatest wife in the world? Well, she obeys everything I say. Or a husband, why is your husband the best husband in the world? Oh, he obeys everything I say. Or boyfriend or girlfriend or even your children. Why are you so close to your children? Why do you love your children? Because they obey everything I tell them to do. No healthy relationship is measured in obedience, right? It's measured in intimacy. It's measured in trust. It's measured in transparency. It's measured in vulnerability. It's, it's measured in sharing and disclosing. It's measured in safety and freedom, right? But it's not measured in obedience. But when it comes to God, in fact, I were to ask you today, how's your relationship with God? Because I ask that question a lot. I'm a pastor. So when I ask that question a lot, people typically go to this sort of uncomfortable place and they say, well, I could be doing more. I should be doing more. I don't pray enough. I don't go to church enough. I don't give enough, whatever it is, right? And what we do is we drag the old covenant, this sort of obedience idea with God into this new way. But Jesus came to give us a brand new understanding of what a relationship with him is and how it's measured. This is important. In fact, this is your homework. You should memorize John chapter 13, verse 34. Here's what it says. Jesus is speaking here, and he's, he's instructing his followers, his disciples, and he says this, a new command I give to you. Here's the new command. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Let me read it again. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, listen, he's not giving an additional command. This isn't like you take the 10 commandments or the 634 other commandments that are found in the Old Testament. And then I've got one more for you. I've talked about this quite a bit in our churches. This is really a pivotal verse for our mission at River Point and West End. Jesus is saying, I'm replacing all this idea of this cause and effect legal relationship of obedience being the measuring stick of my involvement in your life. And what Jesus says here is, I've got a new commandment. And here's the new commandment. You love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, what I want you to see in this, and it's kind of uncomfortable, quite frankly, because I don't know about you, but I like a system. I like rules and regulations. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. And uh, if I do it, then you do the thing you promised that you would do. And it sort of all works out together. But that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to bring intimacy and closeness. And that's never measured in obedience. It's measured in something much more comprehensive. It's in this attitude of love. So Jesus says, this new commandment I give to you, love one another. So in some basic way, your relationship with God is measured in some way on how you treat other people, how you love other people. And I'm not just talking about the people that are easy to love. 
I'm talking about people in your life that are difficult to love, those who oppress you or those who come after you or who, those who do not like you or those who do not agree with you politically or in any other way, socially, those that think you're awful, those who lie about you, those that spread rumors on social media about you, all those people, somehow your relationship with God is measured in how you treat other people. So John's telling us this. He's saying, listen, man, love one another, right, as I have loved you. Jesus tells us through the, uh, the apostle John that the way that you're able to love without condition and to love with sacrifice and to love in a meaningful, intimate way is because you've first been loved by me. That's why it's connected. So this, this whole system of a one great commandment, love one another, replaces all these other commandments, but it's so much simpler, but so much more demanding. This, this idea of love is so much more demanding. And it was such a great message for that day and today because we all know people. Some of you have been hurt by people who claim the label of Christian, but were very unloving and unkind to you. And some of you have stayed away from church because a pastor has hurt you or a Christian has hurt you or a deacon has hurt you or somebody sort of who had all the right answers and was very devout in all their ways was very unloving toward you. And it's such a disconnect from God's character and God's, God's nature. So this commandment that Jesus is giving us, he's saying, love one another as I have loved you. You should love one another. This is the greatest command because when you love one another, you're putting the other person in front of yourself. You're saying their needs, their timeline, their emotional state, them being comfortable, them being cared for, they're more important. They're the priority. It's not me first anymore because God's loved me and gave of himself. So now I'm going to love others and give of myself. This is how we sort of know that we're walking in step with the Holy Spirit of God, that we're saying to God, I want to walk with you and follow you. And he's going to bring people in your life for you to love because he wants to love them through you. Now, John, the apostle, wrote some more about this. And here's what he writes in 1 John. He says this, my dear children, he's old when he's writing this now. So as you get, to get older like me, everybody feels like a child, right, that's younger than you. And that's what he's writing. He's saying, my dear children, I want to tell you something here. This is really, really important. He says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So this idea of sin was like what's sin and what's not sin was still very, very important. Obviously, it's very important today. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. It goes on to say, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then look at what he says here. This is really important. And not only for our sins, ours meaning those who believe, but also for the sins of the whole world. So John says something here that's pretty uh, amazing when you're speaking to a, a, a nation that was God's own children, Israel. He, he's saying, listen, I want you to know this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever in the entire world believes in him should not perish, but have 
everlasting life. And what John is saying here is you need to know this, that sin deals with the idea of how you treat other people because every person matters to God. I've said this before. Every person matters to God, regardless if God matters to them or not. So every person matters to God and they've got to matter to us regardless of what they believe or how they vote or how they act or what they do, they matter. They're God's precious creation. And how you treat other people really indicates your theology of what you believe about God. Now, here's what he goes on to say. He says, we know that we have come to know him if, here's the thing, you're Good with God, we know this, if we keep his commands. So what are his commands? Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, well, that person's a liar. And the truth's not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Must live as Jesus did, who came to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, you know, Jesus had the most problem when he was doing his ministry there for three years with religious people. That these, there's these Pharisees, right? There's these Pharisees, and they were thought to be the most religiously devout people in the nation. And if you wanted to be close to God, you had to be like a Pharisee. But a Pharisee was the exact type of person that John's preaching against here. Somebody who knows the scripture and knows the law and tries in their best effort to keep them, but is unloving and unkind and unmerciful, who doesn't show the compassion and the unconditional grace that's found in Jesus Christ. So he says, if you're gonna walk with God, if you're gonna be with God, it's not about rules and what's sin and what is not sin. Really, the idea is how are you going to live the way Jesus lived? lived, loving people. And I got to finish, but here's what it says. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. This is the Pharisees. They thought they were in the light because they knew the Bible. They knew the law. They kept it. They were devout, but they did not love their brother or sister. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in the darkness and they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Now, I don't believe he's talking about salvation here. He's not, because here's the deal about salvation. When you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, was buried and rose again, and you come to him in all humility and say, forgive me, Father, I have sinned. I believe that Jesus paid the penalty for my transgressions and all my sins past, present, and future. And you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you're forgiven. That's not what I'm talking about here. John's talking about this idea of walking in the light. He's talking about how do we know if we're right with God? It's not about keeping the rules. It's about being close and intimate. Jesus describes it that he wants to be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He wants us to be intimate like in a family, close and intimate. And the way we understand that that is happening is receiving the love of Christ and then extending it. It's not about all your Bible knowledge. It's not about all your devout actions. It's not about doing good or not doing bad. It's about loving. 
You see, what God knows is that if we can be committed to this great commandment of loving one another, that all these other poor behaviors that we should not be doing, well, those go away. And all the good behaviors that we should be doing, like being generous and thinking of others, those begin to emerge in our life. It's all based on this one sort of comprehensive verse, to love one another. Now, loving those who are hard to love, and I've got some of those people in my life, that causes a great spiritual transformation in your life. You have to go to God and confess, this person is very difficult to love. But this is where our life gets rich and meaningful. It's not about what a person can do for you anymore. It's about what you and how you treat them. It's not the way you feel. You don't have to feel like you love somebody. You don't have to feel a warm and fuzzy. You just have to act loving toward others because that person who you find difficult to love, God loves completely. In fact, here's a shocker. That person that you find it difficult to love, God loves that person as much as God loves you who are keeping all the rules, right? So this is the idea that we're to love one another, that this is the deal. That's what we want our church marked with. This is what you want your life work marked with. This is what makes your life rich and meaningful, is that you're a loving person. You realize that Jesus gave his life for all those people that bump into your life along your journey. And your job is to love them. There's a direct connection between the way you live and the way you love God. So don't reduce it down to a system. Don't say, my, God, my relationship with God is good because, look, I'm obeying all the rules. But it's this idea of, no, I'm going to be a loving person. I need God to change my character and my attitude. I need to be selfless like Christ was selfless. And John tells us to live the way Jesus lived. And I want this Christ-like character. That's what this Be Rich campaign is really all about, is to have a life that's rich and meaningful and content. And it starts with giving, serving, but ultimately it ends in our, in our heart where we love one another. That's the kind of person that you want to be. We live in a sort of um, a world that if you do me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong. You get what you deserve kind of thing. Grace says you don't get what you deserve. You get better than that. And God's wanting us to love one another because Christ has first loved us. So think about some person in your life. It shouldn't be hard. That's difficult to love. A person comes right to my mind. God's calling me. If I want my relationship with him to be right and intimate and relevant I've got to figure out how to love somebody who's really hard to love. That's the call. That's why we're asking you to give money so we can love people we don't even know. We're going to love people who do not believe in Jesus. We're going to love people who just have a need. And in the name of Christ, we're going to show up in their world and we're going to do something amazing for them because they need it. They desperately need it. And we're the people. We're God's people. We're the Jesus followers. We're on a movement 
to spread this idea that God cares about you and the way you're going to know God cares about you is I'm going to care about you. And we're going to care about people who don't even care about us. That's the way of love. So I hope your life is rich. I hope you give generously. I hope you let go of some stuff in your life. I hope you serve. I hope you show up and do something physically to help somebody else. And this week, I hope you'll reach out and do something kind and loving to somebody that possibly is not easy to do. Start with the people who are easy to love. Start there. <laughs> and then move up. Graduate to the people that neighbor or that coworker, that somebody that just doesn't like you and you don't like them and you've figured out how to cope with that, break through that coping mechanism and do something loving. Let's love the way Christ loves us. So be loving this week and your life will be rich. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us when we weren't very easy to love, that we were going our own way, doing our own thing and our own arrogance and you loved us and gave your life for us so that we could know you. So I pray that as we follow you, we won't reduce a relationship with you down to keeping the rules, but we'll adopt the new covenant and we'll understand that this new covenant is about loving other people the way you love us. May we be a loving church. May we be a loving people. May our neighborhoods be blessed because we showed up and were kind and compassionate and full of grace, that we weren't takers, but we were givers. So may we live out this be rich verse of being loving and kind and generous. And may our lives get bigger and more meaningful because of it. Thank you for leading us towards the way that Jesus lived. May we live it out faithfully in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you're going to want to join us next week. I'm doing a political sermon. It's the Sunday right before the election. And I'm calling it elephants, donkeys, and you. So join in, because I promise you, I'm going to make somebody mad.